and this is the DashMyComics.com podcast, episode 35. Oh, yeah. How have you been uh, this past week, Leo? Oh, man, not too bad, not too bad. Good, good. I, I for one, am not uh, the, the loser co-host because I did go see The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah, I uh, dropped the ball this week, man. That's right, that's right. I passed the ball to you, and, and you missed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's why I don't play sports anymore. <laughs> that's why I never played sports to begin with. I read comic books. <laughs> but uh, let's see here. Lots of things uh, happened in the past week. Lots of lots of nerdgasms, I guess would be the proper word to say. But we'll get into all of those in the news. But you, you've uh, uh, heard different things about the Spider-Man movie, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so, so you're pretty much spoiled as far as uh, information goes? I haven't, I haven't actively sought it out, but I've read a few things. But I'm not... I hate surprises anyway, so feel free to spoil anything. <laughs> okay. I'm well, as of... So, that always uh, snuck in and figured out what his Christmas presents were before Christmas. <sighs> I was that kid, so... Oh. Well, right on. Uh, as we know... Uh, well, as we expected, I guess, uh, Spider-Man is topped at the box office as of today, and today's the end of the weekend for all you guys that need to know when we when we lay this track down. But uh, Marvel has two movies in the top five right now, and that's uh, The Amazing Spider-Man 2 and uh, Captain America, the, the Winter Soldier, is still hanging on at number four, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I believe you're right. This is what, week... Four at the box office, week three? Uh, uh, I think uh, week four. I think they're going on week four for Captain America. Yeah. But Spider-Man's, Spider-Man swung in strong. Like, for the Thursday viewing, uh, he brought in nearly nine million, and I guess that's a lot for for a Thursday night screening. No idea. And then yeah, we went and saw it on Saturday, and uh, the theater was... Looked pretty full. We saw the the new Ninja Turtles trailer, and that reinforced uh, my hatred for the movie. But it kindled excitement in my ten year old son who was sitting next to me, and, and he pulled the question on me that I've been dreading all year. And and he's like, "Are we going to go see that? We're going to go see that, right?" I said, "Yeah." <laughs> you're, you're a good man, Tim. I can't disappoint him. I can. I can. Let me, let me rephrase that. I can disappoint him, but but not on this. I mean, because, like, Ninja Turtles is is pretty big for him. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll wait two weeks and, and just let him fester. <clears throat> I don't know. <laughs> I had to ban my wife from uh, weed eating today. Why? Holy smokes. Okay. All right. So... We we went out and bought uh, a weed eater and an extension cord and all that stuff. I know this has nothing to do with comic books, but but it, it needs to be said. So so that way the, the warning can be out, and anybody that has a wife or a girlfriend that wants to do it for you, just tell them no. Say no. Our weed eater is electric, so you have to plug it in. Yeah. And you have this extension cord that goes with it. It's like a 60-foot extension cord. And we have the perimeter of uh, the, the driveway and, and the road, the curb and all that stuff. And she grabs the weed eater and starts trucking out there. And immediately I see doom in, in her future. 
You know, because she goes out there, she turns around, and she looks at me, and she pulls the trigger on the weed eater, and it starts buzzing. And all of a sudden, when she sticks it down to the ground, I see the extension cord fly up in the air, and the weed eater Oh, man. And I hear her say, uh-oh, I broke it. <sighs> I threw my hands <laughs> in the air. I said, what did you do? I walk over there, and she says, I don't know. It just stopped. I said, well, that probably is because the extension cord's wrapped up in the bottom. <laughs> So I unwrap it, and I hand it back to her again, and she turns around. So the extension cord is in front of her where all the slack is, and she turns it on again and immediately sucks up the the extension cord into it, wraps up in it, and shuts it off. And she goes, I broke it again. I said, okay, you're done. I said, you're, you're not weed eating anymore. I said, I'm going to do it. Then we bought hedge clippers, electric hedge clippers, too, that have blades that, that are sharp and can cut. And she looked at me, and she's like, can I go use those? I said, absolutely not. I said, no way. <laughs> she probably does it, so she probably does it so you have to do everything and get her out of it. Maybe all a plan. Maybe she's way smarter than you. Yeah, probably because when I came back from weed eating, she was sitting down in the shade with a bowl of popcorn and a thing of ice water. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm covered in grass from head to toe. <laughs> but it is what it is. I love the woman. I can't. I can't live without her, but by God, she cannot weed eat to save her life. <laughs> okay, let's go ahead and dive right into this news. We got a whole bunch of stuff. Oh yeah, it was a big week today. It was a big week. Huge week. Okay, so first things first, let's go ahead and talk uh, Zack Snyder with uh, being commissioned totally, hundred percent. He's going to direct the Justice League movie. Yeah. Yeah, so that's official now. Warner Brothers has, has put that out in the open. And on top of that, uh, they've commissioned nine DC property uh, films to be made, too. So so just by count, that uh, that's Justice League for sure. They've already said that they're going to give Wonder Woman a movie of her own. That's two. I would assume that Batman is going to get his own with with Ben Affleck oh, yeah. at three. And then there's rumors that uh, Matt Damon may or may not be playing Aquaman. I think we may have brushed on that last week. Uh, probably not, though. I, but, I uh, love, I, I don't know why, I know it's ridiculous, but I love the idea of Matt Damon being Aquaman, even though he's a little, he, he, he's not who I would pick with for Aquaman. I think he's past his time as like an action star. No, not at all. Oh, I think, uh, I, like you said, I, I think it's perfect. I, I think it's a great choice for him as Aquaman, as what, what Arthur? Is that right? King Arthur? Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. So I, I think it'd be great. Dye his hair blonde or as dirty blonde as you want to get it. Give him that darn golden trident and dress him up looking awesome. Have him work out, get on a heavy workout regimen and stuff like that. He would look bad Ass. I don't know. I don't know. I like, like, I like Matt Damon a lot. I just think he's he's just past his time for being an action star. But I could very well be wrong. I don't Did you ever get a chance to see him in Elysium? Yeah. Was he good in that? He, I haven't seen it. He was alright. It was just weird that he was the only white person in like an entire state of Hispanic people. It was weird. <laughs> But beyond that, yeah, he looks pretty good. I, li I liked it. 
I think he'll be all right. It, it, uh, I, I was looking at some other things uh, before we started, and uh, he was kind of laughing off uh, the idea that he, he could or couldn't play Aquaman. I, a, a lot of people do that when nothing is confirmed. But yeah. uh, from my understanding, they're in talks, at least. I mean, he, he's got to play somebody simply because Ben Affleck is bad. He, he has to be somebody. Who would Kevin Smith play? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Fanboy? Yeah, I don't know. something. With a, with a hand towel tied to his throat? Yeah. <laughs> but Zack Snyder officially directing Justice League, I think, is is a fantastic idea. Uh I, I may or may not be wrong in saying that I think his uh, his visual style is really awesome. I, I loved uh, Sucker Punch. I, I loved uh, what he did with that and what he did with the girls in that movie, and and the attitude and and the style that he tried to pull off with that. I thought that was really awesome. I loved what he did uh, with Three Hundred. Took Frank yeah, Miller's yeah. epic and turned it into. In my personal opinion, a visual masterpiece. The, the the story was nothing to sneeze at either, and and you see tons of gifts and a lot of people saying this is part as they kick things into holes and stuff like that. So it has a lasting impact. And uh, with what he did with uh, Dawn of the Dead too, I mean, I mean that that is even a separation from from what he started to do with Three Hundred and Sucker Punch and. And uh, and Man of Steel and stuff like that and and those were all good for me. I, I mean, critics hated everyone like they do uh, Spider-Man too. But we'll get into that. But uh, but visually and and the story that I think he would be able to tell, I think is Warner Brothers has made the right choice finally. You know, but when that was announced, everyone was freaking out. And I honestly thought we already knew. Like, I honestly thought we already knew Snyder was going to direct a, a TLA movie. Yeah. I I honestly thought the Internet knew that already. But I guess, like, I don't know why I thought that, but I did. Warner Brothers had the wool over the Internet's eyes at that time. And I don't know. I mean, I honestly thought, I was like, I was like yeah, duh. <laughs> Check it out, fanboys. Zack Snyder's going to direct the Justice League. What? No offense. Horrible. Rabble, rabble, rabble. Uh, I honestly thought that was already a known thing, but... Now, Michael Bay, I can understand, because Michael Bay likes to destroy your childhood. But uh, I thought it was good. I I didn't see any problems with it. I mean, mean, there were were minor things, but but overall it was a solid movie, and it was a great start to... uh, the DC Cinematic Universe, and I know Warner Brothers has taken forever to get around to doing it, while Marvel is uh, opening the summer movie season, they have been for the past seven years, Yeah. do you know that? Every summer since 2007, a Marvel movie has started off the summer movie season? Really? I, I, no, I didn't know that. Yep. So, uh, Warner Brothers has a lot of, a lot of catching up to do. And uh, what was it? Uh, Captain America three, and uh, a DC movie are slated to go against each other. Yeah, it'll be released on the same day. Yeah, we'll see how we'll see who backs down from that, and I don't think it'll be Marvel. No, man. 
But uh, next thing, let's go ahead and talk some Star Wars news. Now I know it sounds like we're we're talking about things that uh, that have already been discussed to death, but uh, we we take the the best things that have taken place throughout the week from from one Sunday to the next. Yep. And I mean we we even take it up to the minute before we hit record for the show. You know, and, and these are the top things that that we think everybody's been talking about and and, and we've been pretty right so far. Um but uh it was breaking on the 29th a couple days ago, but uh the 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 Star Wars cast for episode 7 has been announced. And uh pretty much pretty much, I mean the, the great Lando Calrissian is missing, uh, but uh, Harrison Ford's back, Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, Peter Mayhew, uh, Anthony Daniels, uh, who did C-3PO, and uh, the guy that did uh, R2-D2. I can never remember his name, but uh, all those people are back. Um, and then you have the new cast. Uh, let's see here. Who's the new cast? Uh, John Boyega, Daisy Ridley, Adam Driver, Oscar Isaac, Andy Serkis, Dom Hall Gleason, and Max von Sydow are joining the original cast. And filming is supposed to start soon. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. So what do you make of that? Uh, I definitely like the original cast and... Andy Serkis, I have no idea who any of those people are. Or I didn't when it was announced. But uh, since it was announced, I went. I I had heard everyone saying that John Boyega, his, like, big breakout roles in a movie called Attack the Block, which is a uh, British movie that came out, I think, in 2011, about these aliens invading this, like, little neighborhood in, in like, the south end of London or something. And he was very good in that. Because I went and watched it afterwards. I believe it's on Netflix. Attack the Block. Yeah. I've been finding a lot of uh, indie, end-of-the-world type movies on Netflix that have been really good. Yeah, and so after seeing that, I believe, I mean, John Boyega seems to be the lead of whatever new cast they're going to have. Because his name's first. That's usually how they do it, you know? So it seems like he'll be some kind of central role in Episode 7. So I'm... I'm, I'm satisfied that he could probably lead, you know, some kind of cast like that. I think it looks great. I uh, uh, the the main thing that sticks out to me, and it probably shouldn't, but Mark Hamill is sitting next to to somebody else in the same plaid shirt. And I don't know if that was planned or not, but oh well. <laughs> I think it's great. I, I I think it's awesome. It's gonna be it's gonna be fantastic to see the original cast come back to Star Wars film, it's going to be great uh, to, to see Han Solo and, and Luke and, and Chewbacca and R2-D2 and C-3PO, all, all the ones that, that I'm very comfortable with. Uh, and, and I'm very curious to see where J.J. Abrams can take the new people and take the story into to somewhere that we've never seen before. Because if it's going to be a rehash of the same six that we've already seen, then it's going to be a dud to me. But with what Abrams did with Star Trek, I mean, he reinvigorated the franchise. He he took it from its lowest point, which was Nemesis. And, and Nemesis wasn't a bad movie, but it wasn't a great movie either. 
but uh, he took it and uh, put a really awesome twist on that, put it into a mirror universe so he could do whatever he wanted, and all the fans, from, from my understanding, accepted that. They were like, oh, yeah. mirror universe? Okay, that's cool. Great. That makes sense. And, and it turned out to be awesome. Star Trek Into Darkness, I thought, was really good, too. Uh, the critics be damned. But uh, the thing was, was Abrams wasn't a Star Trek fan, but he is a Star Wars fan. Like, those were the movies that he grew up with. Those were the things that helped inspire him to become a, an awesome writer and an awesome director. And I think that uh, with the old cast and the new cast together, I, I think it's going to be stunning, I, I guess is the best word. I mean, I, like I uh, confessed last week, I've never really seen any of them, but... Uh, well, well, now uh, you've got you've got time to watch at least the Holy Trilogy because the new movie comes out next December. Yeah, yeah. So between now and December eighteenth, two thousand fifteen, you've got three movies to watch. Sounds good. <laughs> all right. Final piece of news, uh, Leo. If you do want to go ahead and take this, by all means. Uh, this is one of the things that I just saw while, you know, flipping around on Twitter one night. Everyone all of a sudden said, oh, Mole Man is going to be the new, you know, Fantastic Four villain or whatever. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, like, you know, what's up? <laughs> and so apparently they're going to have uh, Mole Man. Tim Blake Nelson will be the, the villain. He'll be Mole Man, apparently, in the uh, new Fantastic Four reboot that should be coming out, what, next year or the year after? Uh, it's going to be slated for 2015 next year. Yeah. And so, I mean, that, that's interesting because I like that it seems to imply that they're building up to Dr. Doom. I like that. I, I like the fact that going with, with the big guns right away. Yeah. That man is, was the first Fantastic Four villain. Uh, he, he was the first, uh, in, in the, the 616 universe, and if I'm not mistaken, he was he was the first or at least a pivotal character uh, in the Ultimate universe too, which this is going to more fall in line with. Um, and it does say the, that uh, he, he won't appear in the movie as Mole Man. He's just there to set up like future characters. Right. He's there as uh, was Samuel Elder, uh, Harvey Elder. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, who becomes Mold Man. But uh, for those that don't know, Tim Blake Nelson uh, was the doctor, uh, Dr. Daniel Stearns from The Incredible Hulk that uh, was out in 2008. That's part of Phase 1 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe that they never did anything with beyond that. But that's neither here nor there. And, and you may remember him from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Or but, any other movie. That's right, yeah. But uh, I think it's a good choice. I think he's a fantastic actor, and I think that he would play a character like that really well. I think he would do the Mole Man uh, much justice. Yeah, it would be interesting. But, you know, if he's not Mole Man, Mole Man, that applies to some other villain, which who knows who that'll be. Maybe it'll be a nihilist. That'd be awesome. That'd be like the villain nobody expects. Yeah. I mean, I don't think too many people were expecting Mole Man, honestly. <laughs> or a, 
what is it, Michael B. Jordan as Johnny Storm? Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, so it would be interesting to see who they have as the main villain if Moleman's there to set something up for the future. Maybe they're they're taking the wild approach, and, and since they're doing the unexpected, I'm going to call it now and say that the, the first villain, uh, due to the uh, foreseen success of Godzilla, will be Fin Fang Foom. I'm calling I'd be down with that, man. <laughs> I would be down for that. To watch them beat the crap out of Fin Fang Foom in the middle of New York City? Yeah, man. <laughs> Right on. Michael B. Jordan should play Fin Fang Foom, in addition to Johnny Storm, because he's that good of an actor. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, you know, speaking of, yeah. Yeah, I'd be down for that, yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. We've called it here. StashMyComics.com podcast calls Fin Fang Foom is the main villain. You heard yep. it here first, folks. <laughs> that, that would be insane, though, if they did that. Wouldn't it? I, I would love that. Like, I don't know. Maybe uh, the, the Mole Man, before he becomes the Mole Man, discovers whatever Fin Fang Foom is and unleashes it onto the city after these four ratty kids have become the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Down to that. That'd be great. All right. You want to take it to the pull list? Oh, yeah. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm ready to talk about it. All right. The pull list this week is uh, we have, obviously... Uh, the Amazing Spider-Man number one uh, from Marvel Comics, and you chose something that was really cool from Image. Why don't we go ahead and go with that first? Uh, yeah, Nailbiter number one from Image. It is by. Let me get to the front page real quick. Nailbiter number one from Image, written by. I hope I can find it on here. I read it on my phone, so... Yeah, reading it on my computer. It's not making it easy on me. <laughs> well, regardless, we'll, we'll get that information in a minute. Tell us what yeah. Nailbiter is about, and... All right, Nailbiter, uh, the titular Nailbiter is a serial killer who, who his M.O. is he, he captures people, usually women and children, I believe it said, and, uh, that, that have a bad habit of biting their fingernails, and then he kidnaps them and chains them up and lets the fingernails grow grow out. And then he chews their fingers off to the bone and then kills them, which is awesome. <laughs> okay, okay, Nailbiter by Joshua Williamson and Mike Henderson, who also teamed up for a uh, monkey brain book called Masks and Lobsters, or what's that for? The same uh, website. <laughs> what's that? You pulled up uh, you pulled it up from the image website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm looking at. Same time. <laughs> yeah, and so Nailbiter takes uh, you know the premise is Buckaroo, Oregon has been the birthplace for 16 of the worst serial serial killers in history. Yeah, and Charles Cole is an FBI agent. He's trying to uncover why, and just as he begins to figure it out, he goes missing. And so, but before he goes missing, he calls his friend, NSA agent Nicholas Finch, and he's like, hey, man, I know, you know, I know what's happened. Like, come over here. You're the only one I can trust. And before Finch gets there, Cole goes missing, 
And so Finch is left to figure out what's going on in Buckaroo, Oregon, and get these serial killers are to blame. Yeah. And I, uh, I like this a lot. You and I discussed it a little bit before. You said that you could really see this being like a TV show or a movie or something. And I, I agree. It could definitely be something set up kind of like Hannibal. Yeah. Yeah. You you were saying that uh, that uh, that a lot of image properties as of late have been uh, very uh, cross pleasing. Yeah. I guess a lot of them have a lot of transmedia appeal. Yeah. And and you see that with like stuff like Chew getting picked up for you know a show, and Shelter Shelter's been option. Peter Pan's about has been option. I'm sure Nailbiter would be option at some point too. Oh, that that would be so cool. But I I love the fact that you know it's it's just this weird little small town, and that town just happens to breed the, some of the worst killers and madmen in the history of America, and no one really knows why. And you know about, I I like that. What about that cover though? Yeah, that that cover is good. That cover <laughs> that that's gonna that's gonna be what sells it to a lot of people. I'm sure. That, that 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 will get, they're going to have to figure out what's going on inside. Absolutely, because on the cover, if you guys haven't seen it yet, I mean, this 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 person looks in near ecstasy as he's chewing yep. on his finger. Zipping. He, he has lots oh. of a severed hand. Or no, it looks like it's still attached. It looks like it could even be his. Possible, yeah. Zipping <laughs> nail and flesh and everything from a finger. Oh, my God. So, so for for the writing, for Josh Williamson's writing, what would you do that? I really enjoyed the writing. It it really has that sort of measured, almost like crime serial feel to it. Mm-hmm. And you get some good backstory for Cole and uh, Finch. You know, you get get some good story. There's still a lot of mystery as to why Finch is you know suspended from NSA and all that. Yeah, yeah, they allude to that, like something mm-hmm. happened and. But but as any good you know the horror book as a good horror book should do, Buckaroo is a little bit creepy. I'm like that place is creepy. It creeps you out just a little bit. Yeah. And that's good. That's a good thing. But I I really enjoyed the writing. I give it a uh, ten out of ten. Nice. And the art by Henderson's art is good. He really he really plays up you know the smaller stuff, but also the, the weird stuff like. Uh, like nail-biter, biting people's fingers off, that sort of thing. The flashback scene for the book burner. Yeah, I like that, too. I thought that was really neat. I mean, he he, he plays up the uh, mundane and just the insane all, all at the same time. I like that. And the uh, small little page where the bee sings Finch. Yeah. I don't know what's going on there, but I like the way that looks, just that one long panel of the laying there. I like yeah, that. You see, you see it sting, yeah. and you see him kind of swat, and he's like, ah, something got me. And, then, and there there has to be something more to it. They, they can't just devote half a page to a bee sting. To the bee dropping on the yeah. ground, yeah. There, there's something else goes on there, I'm sure. So but the honey will have to play it somehow. But anyway, yeah. uh, Henderson's art, I dig it. Uh... Give me nine out of ten. Fantastic, fantastic. Now, I read this uh, earlier today, uh, and and the cover 
immediately is what caught me on that, seeing that guy chewing on them fingers. Yeah, I think you text me what is it, the nail biter cover is sexy. Yeah, <laughs> man, that's sexy. Look at that. <laughs> but uh, the, the the writing, uh, Williamson's writing was was really good, and and it didn't flow like a comic book to me. Like like it read like a comic book. It, it was visual like a comic book, and and it was paneled like a comic book. But I could see that, and and that's what that's what brought it up. Uh, made made me think about that and bring that up to you is, is that this could really be portrayed or it could have been written as a pilot for a TV show. Uh, it, it was it was that good to me. I, I loved uh, the, the beginning where you were kind of thrown in and you didn't you didn't really know what was going on and then it just kind of takes you to uh, the uh, God I can't remember his name like Carol and then the, the main character yeah. 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 And and he's sitting there with that gun in his hand and he's got it pointed at his head and he's just there's like four panels devoted to just him sitting there doing that. You're you're watching, you're like, What the hell is going on here? And then all of a sudden phone rings and it's his buddy and he's like, I've cracked it. You know, I I cracked the code. I, I know why sixteen of of the country's worst serial killers have come from this town. And uh, he tells Finch, he's like, just whatever you're doing, drop it and get on the next plane, rent a car, do whatever you got to do. Get here so I can tell you about this. And when he gets there, his friend's gone, and, and he's stuck in this this murder capital of the world or, or the, the birthplace of the serial killer. And you've got that guy that uh, started the the first serial killer souvenir shop. Yeah. And uh, his 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 grandpa was the book burner. The yeah. first of the Buckaroo Butchers. That's right. That's right. And, and I love I love uh, the names that uh, Williamson is giving to to these guys. Like it, it's not necessarily serial killers that he's creating, but villains. Yeah. You know, like he's taken the elements of the superhero comic and thrown it in there and really gave these villains, uh, for, for lack of a better way to express it, he's really given them some teeth. And uh, like in that scene where, you, where the cops catch Nailbiter for the first time and he's just sitting there, there's a person laying on the ground and he's chewing on his hand. He's like, oh, I wasn't expecting company, but uh, there's, there's more than enough finger food to go around. <laughs> it, it was great. I, I loved it. I, I can't get enough of stuff like that. I, I love horror books because they keep me on the edge of my seat and, and they kind of disgust me a little bit and it's it's I always feel like it's something that I'm not supposed to be reading and if my wife catches me <laughs> reading this, she's going to be like, what in the expletive deleted is this trash? But but it was great. I, I loved it. I, I give his writing a solid 10 out of 10. It, I'm really excited to read more of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This is something that I definitely want to see, and I think we're we're an issue behind, right? Issue two is already out on the stage. No, no. Uh, issue one is out this week. Issue two is already on the uh, image review server. Oh wow! I'm, I'm jumping the gun here, then. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> so go get it, guys. I mean, Nailbiter, solid ten uh, from Leo in writing, solid ten from me in writing, and I'm going to follow right along with you and give it a nine for artwork too. Uh, the artwork. Yeah, absolutely. It was solid. It, it, it was uh, it was rough. Uh, 
it could have been a little more, but I think that's just more nitpicking on my part than anything else. I, I was very satisfied with the visual aspect of it and, and everything else. And, and this guy, uh, <clears throat> Mike Henderson, he, he did stuff on uh, Venom and TMNT. So, I mean, he's he's been around the block a little bit. He, he's been with IDW uh, doing the Ninja Turtle stuff, and he, he did stuff for Marvel, too. So coming here and doing this on Image, uh, I, I think, is a great venture for him. But uh, that that cover, that cover sells it for me right there. That's all I got to see, and I'm like, ugh, I have to read this book. <laughs> uh, so solid, solid nine out of me for that. Nine out of ten all the way around. Great book. Definitely need to pick it up. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely buy it. All right, let's move on to The Amazing Spider-Man number one. Uh, this is written by Dan Slott, artwork by Humberto Ramos, uh, published by Marvel Comics, but it needs to be said that uh, it's not just the one story uh, of Peter Parker's return. There's there's like other things that they've done too. So, so the book is kind of huge. You've, okay, so there's a side story with Electro and the Black Cat uh, that uh, lead up to uh, other things taking place in future issues. And there's also uh, side stories having to do with uh, the explanation of Spider-Man's powers, uh, Scarlet Spider side story, and one or two other ones in there. Plus, you get uh, Inhuman number one. And plus a uh, Spider-Man 2099 story. Come on now, oh, Jeff. Don't forget that. I forgot all about that because he is in the 616 universe now. Yeah. And, and the coolest thing about that was Peter David wrote it. And you got to see uh, Kane in a sweet uh, cut-off jean hoodie thing or whatever. <laughs> no. Yeah, man, he's he, he in there, yeah. <laughs> um, let's see here. Uh, okay, so with the Amazing Spider-Man, with, with whatever events took place, in Superior, uh, Parker is now back in control of his own body, but he doesn't remember anything that took place between the time that Dr. Octavius did it in Amazing Spider-Man 698 uh, all the way up to the end of the Superior run. And now he has a girlfriend that he didn't know he had before, uh, he owns his own company now, which is called Parker Industries. He's gotten a Ph.D., uh, which Octavius did for him. Everybody hates him, and he screwed over uh, friends and enemies alike, you know, as the superior Spider-Man while Octavius was doing everything. But Octavius understood that in order to be a true hero, he had to sacrifice himself. So whether Octavius is gone forever or not, we'll we'll find that out when Amazing Spider-Man 3 or the Sinister Six movie comes out and they have to bring Octavius back from the dead. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, um, you have uh, – it, it opens up uh, really lighthearted. And uh, Parker is fighting this group of female villains and, and one hippo guy uh, called the Menagerie or something like that. And they're doing this. Easter heist where they steal all these uh, Tiffany Fabergé eggs or something like that. 
and uh, this one girl <laughs> has, I think, the dumbest power I've ever heard, where she controls fabric <laughs> and can do whatever she wants with fabric and, and redo it how she wants to. So pretty much uh, she eats <coughs> or, excuse me, or gets rid of all of uh, Spider-Man's costume with the exception of his mask, obviously. Uh, so, so Parker's jumping around New York, fighting these girls, and and whooping on them, and cutting jokes and pranks, and and all that stuff, doing the typical thing that that Spider-Man does, uh, which which was a welcome sight to see. But uh, then it just kind of cuts from there, and and you get a little bit of background on uh, what's taking place, like Jameson quit being mayor and he's trying to go back to the bugle and uh, the bugle is kind of defacing him in public you know mayor quits Jameson disgraced and Jameson in true fashion is pretty uh, pretty pissed about that I guess and uh, what else is there it, it was just a cluster of nothing to me I I I held no weight in that book whatsoever. I mean, I'm maybe I am in in, in the minority plots concerned. Uh, the alteration he did to the origin, like in the beginning of the book, uh, it, it gives a, a great uh, sound off to Stanley and Steve Ditko, uh, and, mm -hmm. and they they do it kind of panel for panel a little bit about uh, the spider come down and biting Parker on the arm or on the hand and then it goes away and the spider is supposed to die right there but not not with Dan's lot he can't have any of that so he has the spider walk around and then it bites some girl on the foot the same spider that, that Peter Parker bites another girl or bites a girl on the foot and then it dies Ugh. my my nerd brain is exploding right now <laughs> I think that's the dumbest thing he could have done, uh, aside from being a part of Brand New Day and, and everything that took place after that and, and the superior Spider-Man stuff that he did where he killed off Peter Parker. I, I think Slot's time is over, and I think that he needs to go. <laughs> uh, I, I can't stand it when they do that, when, when they retcon stuff and they change stuff and they're like, well, it happened the way that you thought it happened, but this happened too. And, and we need to tell this story now. No, you don't need to tell that story because that story didn't happen. The, the, the spider died after it bit Peter Parker because that's all that needed to happen. You don't need to be like, well, a girl got bit too. She got bit in the foot. So that's why you didn't see that because she bent down and then Parker walked away. So you never saw her. Ugh. Line up real fast so I can smack all of you in the face. I can't, no. I can't take that. can't take it. You can't mess. It's not broke. Don't fix it. It wasn't broke in the first place, and you killed off Peter Parker, and the Internet about exploded when you did that. And now when you said you weren't going to bring him back, you brought him back after people started to get comfortable with, with Octavius being kind of a jerk as Peter Parker and treating everybody as a common criminal. It was a step away from Spider-Man, but now they're coming back to where they need to be, where they should have never left in the first place. Yeah. But overall, overall, uh, the other stories in there, the Electro story, was kind of cool. But I understand why they're doing that. 
Oh, yeah, they got to play Electro off in the 50s. Yeah, yeah, because of the movie. So so that's cool. But but in the comic books, Electro is still a bum. <laughs> and, and he's still like the world's worst, worst uh, supervillain uh, who can't do anything. And he's in this bar with all these guys that uh, the Hobgoblin gave all these superhero suits or supervillain suits to, like the Gideon and the Trapster and and other people that he he's like, here, I'm going to hire you. Put these suits on. Now you'll be these, these worthless villains and you can sit in a bar and shoot pool and make fun of Electro all day. And that they do. And uh, my my favorite part of the book though was the Black Cat story. Uh, uh, and and the the artist Giuseppe or whatever his name is, his artwork is great. And I would love to see his continue in Spider-Man. He did it before, and he did some cover art too. But they went with Ramos, and Ramos has had his run, and it was good while he was there. But he needs to go. He, somebody else needs to take up now. But uh, the people black people like Ramos on Spider-Man. They like that look for him, I guess. You do? Uh, people, I, I like his art, but I know a lot of people do like his his version of Spider-Man. Yeah, I liked it during uh, what was it? He was doing it during ends of the ends of the earth and stuff like that, in and at the tail end of Spider-Man. But uh, I like the McFarlane and Bagley stuff. Of course, my yeah. favorite. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, the the black cat story was cool. Uh, the the how my powers work that was really neat. I I really dug that. I like that little bit. And uh, obviously, the Spidey twenty ninety nine story was sweet. Sets it up for the first issue, which I cannot wait for. That comes out this summer. Um, and I did not read Inhuman number one because I had no interest to. It, uh, I mean, Joe Bad. Joe Bad isn't on the title anymore, so people are kind of like, "Oh." <laughs> but Ryan Stegman is on it now, and he's a pretty good artist. But have you noticed that they're pushing Inhumans a lot more? Yeah, I mean, they're going to be like the new X Men. It's pretty much what's going to happen. I think we'll see them in the cinematic universe. Yeah, they're going to be like the new X Men, pretty sure. Which, I mean, can you imagine Black Bolt on the big screen? You'd have to get an actor that could convey emotion without speech. I mean, it'd have to be some big, physically opposing guy, too. Like, yeah. It'd have to be the right kind of guy. And he'd have to be quiet the whole movie until he says one word and blows up the whole city. I could actually kind of see Vin Diesel doing that, now I think about it. But he's Groot. Yeah, his voice is. All he says is Groot. Uh, I am Groot? I am yeah. Groot. I am Groot. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, overall, as as much as I complain about this, overall, I, I can't help but, but give the story a nine. Everything. Everything together. Not just slot stuff. But uh, the, the entire first issue. Well, well 701 for The Amazing Spider-Man, I guess, because they'll go back to... Yeah the original numbering soon enough. So this first issue doesn't mean squat. Um, but the the entire book overall, I give a nine uh, for for artwork. And uh, for writing, I give an eight. Overall, it gets an eight and a half. All right. Tell me what you think. Uh, 
as you know, I'm not a Spider-Man fan of old. But I really didn't like uh, Superior. So it was nice to see Peter, you know, being Spider-Man again. Yeah. It, it was weird that, like, I, I didn't... I didn't know he had a dwarf or a girlfriend. That was weird at first. I thought I thought the perspective was really off because she was the same height as the doorknob. I honestly thought it was like a little kid coming into to his apartment. He's like, she, she said, the super gave me the keys, so I just let myself in. And <clears throat> then she starts digging around. I'm like, oh, that's not a kid. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it was interesting. Wasn't a bad story. I I like the uh, twenty nine twenty nine nine story. The Black Cat story is really good. Yeah. I I like the Scarlet Spider story. I like that a lot because I read that series before it got canceled. Mm-hmm. And Chris Yost wrote that too. Yeah, I read it before it got canceled, and so it was cool to see you know Peter and Houston trying to track Kane down and. You know, just to him being worried about him. Sure he's okay. Yeah, him being worried about that he's become some kind of angry, you know, hateful monster. But everyone around him is like, no, you're he's a hero. He he doesn't want you know he doesn't want any of this, but he does it anyway. He's a hero. And I love he that. Has to. Yeah, I like that. I like the uh, I'm on my wall here in my man cave. I have uh, the the cover to uh, Scarlet Spider that. The the, pro, the promo work that was given out at comic book stores and stuff like that. You know, you pick up the posters and stuff like that that they have. Well, I've got the the cover for Scarlet Spider number one, and I have it uh, in my collection, and I really dug it, but I never got a chance to read it beyond that. And I was really disappointed when they canceled it. I liked it. Yeah. So what would you give a slot's writing? Uh, honestly, it's the main story. It, it just doesn't do it for me on on a. I mean, you know, I, I like the fact that Peter's back, but a lot of it just I don't know. It's just weird, and I don't like yeah, some of it. Don't hold back. I'm, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's just weird. Peter doesn't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. It's weird. Okay. He, he's never been clueless as I am, and that's that's just weird. It doesn't but, uh, feel good. Yeah, no, it does not. <laughs> but anyway, I uh, I give the writing for the main part of the issue for like seven. Okay, fair enough. I mean, it was good, you know. It it brought back Peter, but it just didn't do it for me all the way. Hmm. But like I said, I do like Ramos's art. I like his style. I thought uh, I don't know. I like his style. I like it. I give him his art an eight. Right on. So the book gets a seven and a half from you, which is yeah. a solid, a solid rating. Yeah, it's it gets respectful. an eight and a half from me. Yeah. Okay, so not bad. Nailbiter is obviously the number one choice, and Amazing Spider-Man number one. Pick it up uh, if, if you're a collector of the Spidey stuff. It definitely needs to be in the collection, but uh, don't bank on it being worth more than cover price because they'll go back to the original numbering sooner rather than later. However. Um, According to one of our uh, competitors uh, that that prices comics, uh, comicspriceguide.com, they have set the GameStop variant at a price of $150. Jeez. Yeah. Mine should be coming in the mail any day now. 
Really? Yep. Are you a GameStop reward phone member or whatever? I am. I am. I, I got the 7,000 points for buying the Xbox and two games and then trading in a bunch of old 360 games that I never played anymore. Nice. Are you going to sell it or are you going to keep it? Uh, no, I'm going to sell it. I have no desire to keep it. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. Yep. I'll go buy a regular copy of uh, Amazing Spider-Man number one to, to have to read, <clears throat> and plus this one to keep in my collection here. So. Word. Yeah. But uh, aside from that, are you reading anything new? Oh, I just got my copy of the Skybreaker trade from Amazon. Skybreaker is a monkey brain book that has now gone on to print for IDW. Nice. It's a uh, Western, you know, Western revenge story. So IDW and Monkey Brain are working together to put it out? Uh, they, they, IDW has like a contract with them that basically in any book that, that you know, they want to go to print with, they'll, they'll do it if the uh, creators don't already have connections with somewhere else. Nice. Because some, you know, because some creators they have they publish stuff through Image or Dark Horse or something, so they go there rather than IDW. Bring. Yeah. No kidding. Yep. So I've got yeah, so I've got the Skybreaker trade in the mail, which I'm pretty excited about because How many I, I like does that collect? Uh, five full digital issues. I think it's like a hundred and uh, hundred and twenty odd pages plus some back matter. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Pretty good. Uh, what else? Right on. I am looking forward to uh new arc of Rat Queen starting up this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Burn the Orphanage is now an ongoing, so that'll be cool for this week. Nice. And uh, Five Ghosts, the second arc, is going to be wrapping up later on in the month. There's uh, cool stuff coming out. I don't know, man. I, I go on and on. I got so much catching up to do. Uh, we're, we're gearing toward the end of school with my kids, so yeah. we've been focusing a lot on that. So my comic reading has kind of faltered mm. a little bit. So I got to catch up on, on the Marvel stuff that I'm reading, uh, like Punisher, and, and I want to see what happened with the next issue or two of Magneto yeah. and stuff like that. But Obviously, I'll be reading Spider-Man, if only to read it, but uh, I, I did pick up something comic-related, though. Like, uh, on eBay, I found uh, a sweet gem from the 90s in the form of Marvel and DC overpower cards. And okay. if everybody knows what those are, uh, it was a card game in the 90s that uh, had to do with uh, the heroes and the villains of the Marvel Universe, and later uh, DC uh, went through the printing company that uh, Marvel was using. They were using Fleer at the time, uh, and, and they did that for a reason. Uh, so that way it was a, a, a kind of like the middleman that these comic companies could come to and make the same game with the same rules but still retain the rights to their characters. So, so Marvel worked with Fleer and came out with the Overpower game. And it's really simple. It's a really simple concept. You have four heroes or villains or whatever. You have three in your foreground and then one in reserve. 
and you play against an opponent and you battle. You have energy and fighting and strength and then other cards that are specific to the characters themselves that you use to combat your opponent. And the way you win is by knockout. You can't kill them, <laughs> but uh, by knockout. And uh, I, I bought a couple decks for, for me and my son to play, and, and me and my buddy Nick sat down and, and played a couple games of this too. And it was really fun to to kind of get back into that again. And now my son is like, every day, he's like, are we going to play Overpower today? Yeah, we'll play Overpower today. Okay, great. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I bought, uh, what is it, uh, Clobber in Time. The, I bought four of the same deck, the the Thing deck. And I'm showing you, but no one else can see it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I bought four of the same there, and I gave him one. I gave my friend Nick one. I kept one, and I have one left over to give to some lucky a person that I deem necessary to have the card uh, game to play, too. Um, and then I, I had a bunch of extra cards, and I built a deck that has Deadpool, Carnage, Doctor Doom, and Omega Red in it. But it's a lot of fun. It, it was really cool. I really dug it, and uh, I'm really excited to pick up some more cards. They, don't, they didn't make a whole bunch. Like, Marvel only put out three or four Sets DC put out two, one having to do with Batman and Superman, and then one having to do with the Justice League to bring in more characters. And Image only got one set out, but it had Spawn and Savage Dragon and Wildcats and Wetworth. Yeah. And all the old Image stuff. So. But let's move on to our weekly distraction that I get to talk about this time. And not sit there and, and listen to spoilers and, and cry inwardly because I didn't get a chance to go see the movie. This week's weekly distraction, ladies and gentlemen, is all about The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Now, I must warn anybody that's listening, if you don't want spoilers, turn it off now. I'll give you two seconds. One, two. Okay. Anybody that's still here, I'm going to talk. And Leo's going to listen, and he's going to interject, and he's going to say cool things, and I'm going to say cool things, and I'm going to spoil the crap out of Amazing Spider-Man 2. Okay, so, you've got kind of the gist of what happened in the movie, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, first off, I have to say that... <sighs> Regardless of what the critics are saying, like I, I read from one from one guy from from like a Fox TV station in New York or something like that, and, and he did a review on the Amazing Spider-Man two, and he said that it was increasingly too long, and and he mentioned that throughout the entire review that he did. He's like, it's too long. Did I mention it's too long? By the way, did I say it's too long because it's too long? No, we get the idea. It's not though. It, well. I guess it is. It's two hours and 22 minutes. Yeah, it's about two and a half hours, yeah. Yeah, and, and when you watch the movie, you can see uh, where they could have cut it off, like after the events that take place with Gwen Stacy and all that stuff, and you can see where they could have put the credits <clears throat> and then done uh, the end scene with Harry in Ravencroft and the guy who they, uh, the, the man in the shadows, they gave a name to him. He's called Mr. Fierce. Mm. And, uh, yeah. And when he comes in and he's talking to Harry and, and Harry says, I want to start this team, but keep it small. And he mentions 
the guy that is the rhino as their first subject to use. But the thing is, if you pay attention in this movie, you will catch, like, every nod to Spider-Man that they could have crammed into this film. Like, on, on the clock tower when things happen... Uh, the the clock starts at I think 121, which was the issue number that yeah. died in. Yeah, that's crazy. I I thought that was cool. I saw that and I nudged my wife. I was like, "Do you see that? That clock stopped at 121." She's I like, "Oh, what nerd?" <laughs> well, no. She she's like, "I noticed that. I noticed it stopped at 121." I was like, "That means something. I know what that means." <laughs> and I will tell I'm you what it is. the smartest man in this theater. <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, they had uh, Smythe in there, uh, who eventually creates the Spider Slayers. Man, uh, who else was in there? Uh, how, how does the movie work with, you know, three villains? How, how does that I think it... I think it works really well. Um, the, the tone of the movie, like, and I'm going to keep going back to this guy uh, that, that did the review for, for uh, the Fox station in New York. I'm going to keep going back to him. But uh, he said that there were three villains too many. And it wasn't, because in the beginning, uh, you have uh, the, the guy, uh, Paul Giamatti, uh, who plays the guy that becomes the rhino. He, he's there in the beginning. And it starts off with a bang, you know, and... <sighs> Spider-Man's wisecracking and he's jumping around and making all kinds of jokes and stuff like that and then he beats the crap out of Paul Giamatti and dodges bullets and all that stuff and then you don't see Paul Giamatti again until the end when he's in the rhino suit and he makes the rhino suit work I, I loved it, I thought it was great it, it was good because he started off the movie you didn't see him again until the tail end of the film and then he ends the movie which means that the character's not gone the, the, the character's going to be there with the Sinister Six, <clears throat> and and it's it, because in in the middle, you have, the, or from that point to the end, you have everything that takes place with Max Dillon and how he becomes Electro. And let me tell you, the fight scene in Times Square with Electro and Spider-Man is some of the best visual effects that I have ever seen in a film. And it was intense. Holy cow, was it intense. It, it was amazing. Now, the, the, yeah, the, the thing with, with him and Harry, you're, you're kind of supposed to know that they've been best friends because Harry Osborne comes back. He watches his dad die, but his dad's got this weird thingy going on with his hands, and you can see how he could have morphed into the ultimate version of the Green Goblin, this big giant beast. But... uh you watch Norman die, and then Harry is in charge of things, and he turns out to be a brat. But Peter Parker shows up. He hasn't seen him in 11 years, and he's like, oh, I heard your dad died. I'm sorry. I just want to come and make sure you were okay, and all that stuff. And then it just kind of goes from there, and it's like, okay, they've been best friends. They were best friends before Harry had to be sent away to boarding school and blah, 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 and, and now they're back. And... I thought that was a little weird because uh, they didn't really go into that enough, and they really could have. They they really could have explored and and really put forth the fact that that they were best buds and stuff like that. But they didn't. They, they just kind of were like, okay, well, the fanboys will get this. They already know, so we'll leave it to that. Yeah. Um, 
But uh, all the while, with the stuff that's going on with Electro, uh, Harry's doing his own thing, and, and them two kind of come together, you know. And, and when Harry's losing his mind and stuff like that, and Electro, Jamie Foxx did a really good job. Really good job as Max Dillon. I don't think they could have got anybody to do it quite the way that he did it because he made Electro intense. He made Electro terrifying. He made Electro formidable. Like, Electro was not this guy that just got beat around. I mean, like, Max Dillon, before he became Electro, was that guy. But when he became Electro, man, oh, was he great. And and the fight in the power station was really cool, too. Yeah, that looked really cool in the trailer. Yeah, yeah, really well done, really well done. And that they they made Peter work without web shooters. They they really used his intellect in the film again, and they showed how smart Gwen was, and they really played along with that. And the chemistry between Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone is is fantastic. It's 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 great. That you could I I know that they are in real life, but you could really tell that they put a lot of effort into the love of those two characters. Mm-hmm. And that's an integral part of the story. That's something that needs to be shown, and it needs to be done right. And them two did it. Oh, so good. So good. I asked my kids after the movie was over. I said, okay, one out of ten, what do you give it? My my son uh, was, was pretty obvious. He's like, I give it a ten billion. <laughs> <laughs> and I asked my daughter, uh, my, my 15-year-old daughter, I said, out of one out of ten, what do you give it? She goes, that movie was great. I loved it. I give it a ten. And I asked my wife, and I said, one out of ten, what do you give it? She goes, well, I don't know a whole lot about it. So I'm going to give it a nine. I said, what? <laughs> well, I don't know that much. I said, what do you need to know that wasn't crammed into two hours and 22 minutes? How can you give it a nine? She's like, I just don't know. I don't know that much. I was like, okay. <laughs> so, but it was solid. It was solid. Uh, you really need to go see it. It's totally I, I know worth- I do. I know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's worth the time to, to take out of the day to go see it. I want to go see it again. Like, I haven't been this excited about a Spider-Man movie since uh, Spider-Man 1, the, the one that Sam Raimi did. And that I took my brother out of school. God, he was 12. I took him out of school that day. He, you better believe it, man. That day, May 3rd, uh, I woke him up, and he's like, is it time to go to school? I said, nope, it's time to get dressed, because we're going to see Spider-Man today. He said, what? I said, Yep. I took him. We we got in line. We were there uh, the minute that they opened. Got the the popcorn bags, which I still have, by the way, because they have Spider Man on them. Wow! And, <laughs> and I still have the ticket stubs too. Yeah. But uh, we we watched it. We saw it. We both loved it. We were like, that's that's the greatest movie ever. Finally, Spider Man's on the big screen. And we got back in line and saw it again. And this is a movie that I would have done that with. I thought it was that good. Nice. Yeah. So, any questions? Anything you want me to spoil for you? Uh, I mean, I think it's obvious that, you know, what happens in issue 121 happens in the movie, yes? Yes. Okay. But it doesn't happen exactly the same way. The, the way they do it in the movie is very relevant to what's taking place. All right. 
I mean, I figured it was going to happen in this movie anyway, but... I yeah. didn't. I, I didn't think they were going to be that uh, brazen and and do that to her this movie. I thought they would take it through a trilogy, to be honest with you. Hmm. Yep, I didn't think they'd do it right away. But, <clears throat> but like, in the comics where uh, Goblin drops her... Yeah. You know, when she falls and Spider-Man shoots his webs... And it catches her on the ankle, and then you see snap. And you know because he or, or the 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 way that she caught broke her neck. In the movie, uh, you want me to tell you? I don't care. Like I said I I don't like surprises. Okay. Well, uh, Green Goblin and and Spider-Man are, are having this really stellar fight inside this. Uh, this clock, I guess, this this giant standing, like, Big Ben type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're beating the crap out of each other. And and Gwen got caught up in all of it because Osborne grabbed her and, and took her in, and Spider-Man screaming, let her go, let her go, let her go. And, you know, they finally catch up to each other, and, and he does let her go. He drops her, and she starts to fall, and Spider-Man zips that, that web line right down to her and gets her. She's hanging on and stuff like that while they're fighting inside these gears, and the webs get caught up in the gears, and Parker's holding on to the gears and fighting off Green Goblin and stuff like that, and and it's just getting all to be too much, and one thing leads to another, and the gear system breaks, and it pops, and it knocks Harry Osborn out, but Gwen starts to fall through this big, huge tunnel, and and Spider-Man jumps down, obviously, does the free-fall dive and stuff, and you see him shoot that web and it was so cool how they did it because he, he launches the web and he's, you, you know he's trying as hard as he can to try and get to Gwen Stacy before yeah. the inevitable takes place and when the web shoot out it just turns into like this spider webbed hand that's reaching for her too and she's reaching for the web and the web catches her uh, in the stomach and right when it does like he pulls back on it and she pops and her head hits the floor mm. and you you hear this boom, and you're like Ugh. and you heard the whole theater go what <sighs> <laughs> and I was like oh man I, I couldn't I believe how they did it the whole theater was like no yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the whole theater you could see him move up, and I was walking because I'm sitting in the back, and I, I knew what was going to happen. I knew it was coming, and, and as soon as it was coming, I, was, I looked at my daughter, and I could see that she was fighting back tears, and I looked over to the the people next to me, and they're leaning forward, and I'm leaning forward too, and that spider webbed hand is reaching for it, and it grabs her, and then you hear her hit her head, and you're like, oh man, guys. Oh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, it was good. It was totally good. Ten out of ten, best Spider-Man movie I've seen. I think it's the best Marvel movie I've seen to date, right on par with Avengers. Nice. Yeah, but but like we were talking about before, uh, you said that uh, on on Twitter it's it's pretty divided. It's either a love it. Or a hate it. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. And it's, yeah. yeah, and it's extreme both ways. I mean, the people that love it 
are are all about ah, it's the greatest movie ever. It's, it's fantastic. And the people that hate it, they're like Andrew Garfield's horrible. Uh, Jamie Jamie yeah. Foxx was terrible. Yeah, pretty much. So you're like, oh man, it was so much fun, and the fight scenes were cool. Or they're like, the CGI was terrible, and Andrew Garfield sucks, and Spider Man was just terrible. And, See, I don't think the CGI and that guy the same too. movie that I saw. Because if you're any any sort of Spider Man fan, that had everything. I mean, the the fans screamed that the suit that was used in the first movie was crap. And they were like, we want the traditional red and blue. Well, you get it. And you get no explanation as to why he switched suits. Which I think was a little, eh. that That's like the only real nitpick that I have with the movie. Uh, they should have explained that. Even if it's just like, well, I just wanted to change. So there you go. Okay, it's explained. That's all I need. That's That's all I need to know. I mean, but, uh, me, I don't expect comic book movies to, like, win an Oscar, you know what I mean? Like, But they did in The Dark Knight. Yeah, I understand that. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't expect it to be Schindler's List and right. your cinematic masterpiece. I expect it to be fun. Yeah, absolutely. A comic book movie, especially a superhero comic book movie, yeah. has to be, above all else, a fun and exciting ride for two hours, and, and I think, and 22 minutes, yes, and I think that they did that here, I, I really do, I, I have to commend everybody that took part in that movie, I, I think that they put everything they did, and, and they listened to people, and, and the, the little tidbits that you catch, like if you look close enough, well, I mean, it, it's obvious, they show Dr. Octopus's arms and they show Vulture's wings. But if you yeah. look close enough, you'll see the symbiote that becomes Venom. That's there. It, uh, it is Mr. interesting that it seems like they're making all the heroes and villains part of, like, a result of Oscorp. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, in, in the Ultimate Universe, uh, Oscorp was kind of the, the man behind all that, wasn't he? I have no idea. I believe so. We'll have to ask uh, Jason about that. <laughs> but, uh, but like, at the end, uh, in the credits, you know how, how they do, uh, like, directed by, and they show all the actors and stuff like that, and they show all the cool uh, CGI stuff that leads up to the logo and all that jazz? <clears throat> well, they did that here, too. And it gives you a hint of what's coming later, mm-hmm. you know, because they show a symbol for the rhino, they show the vulture's wings, they show octopus's arms, but they also show this thing that that looks like a face. It has the eye cut out, and, you, and the face is set up as mirrors, and you see smoke coming through the eyes. Smoke and mirrors, illusions, leading to... Huh? I don't know. Mysterio. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, what was it? They they had it set up who the Sinister Six was going to be. It was going to be Green Goblin, Rhino, Mysterio, Dr. Octopus, uh, and I cannot recall the other two. Good one. <laughs> but, uh, but Mysterio. Awesome. Awesome. Can't wait to see that. I, w- I would love to see how they're going to incorporate that. And, and one of the storylines I'd like to see in the future is the Craven's Last Hunt. 
Damn. Yeah, I don't know. That might be a bit much for some of the casual movie-going public, though. Yeah, but it'd be awesome. It'd be <laughs> awesome to see. I would love to see that. That that would be great because, okay, Spider-Man 3, at the end, he gets the black suit. The symbiote suit gets stuck on him. And then you have Spider-Man 4, which is all about the symbiote suit and Kraven chasing after him and, and doing all that stuff and burying him alive and all that. And then after he beats Kraven, he goes to the bell tower and gets the suit off of him while Eddie Brock's been this secondary character all throughout because in the third movie he's going to become uh, part of the staff of the Daily Bugle and then in the fourth movie after Eddie Brock has been ridiculed and shamed for the Sin Eater saga and yada 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 it drops on him and uh, set up Venom. And in between three and four they have a uh, Sinister Six movie. No, no, they uh, do Secret Wars and crossover with the Marvel Cinematic Universe and (laughs) don't don't tease me. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sony, 20th Century Fox, and Marvel Studios bring you... That would be ridiculous. Uh, I, I think the world would explode if that took place. Have Joss Whedon direct it all, and have uh, Brian Singer sit there and cry, um, and Mark Webb help produce. Oh, that'd be amazing. What did you say? Who sit there and cry? Brian Singer. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That, that'd be so unreal to see something like that. Like, we never thought that the Avengers was going to take place. And it did. So, Secret Wars. Secret Wars. It could be there somewhere. Yeah, but they, they do a Secret War movie, and uh, people are just going to freak out. Maybe that's been their plan all along. Maybe like in Guardians of the Galaxy, which comes out this year too, in August. Yeah. Uh, and we see Thanos in there, and he starts getting the pieces of the gems. And then uh, for Avengers 3, after Ultron gets gets the, the tin whooped out of him, mm-hmm. uh, when Thanos has the Infinity Gauntlet, maybe, just maybe, they'll be cool enough to be like, look at all these other universes that are similar to yours. Here's Spider-Man. Here's the X-Men. Here's yeah. Fantastic Four. Uh, if, if they do a Secret Wars movie, though, everyone's going to be like, oh, really, Marvel's ripping off the Hunger Games? Come on. What? <laughs> no, you know it's what people would start doing. Oh, my God. That, then those people should be ashamed of themselves because the Hunger Games obviously ripped off of Marvel first. It obviously ripped off Battle Royale. <laughs> Which ripped off Marvel for the Secret Wars. Ooh, Battle Royale. I don't, know. I don't know when Battle Royale came out. Have you seen Battle Royale? I have not. Oh, you have to watch that. Have to. That's a, that's, that's a must-watch Japanese film. It's so good. Okay. Yeah. It's on Netflix. I will have to uh, watch this. So there you go. That's that's your homework for the week. We'll talk about it next Sunday. Sounds good. (laughs) But I think we are done with some Spider-Man talk, don't you? Yeah, I think we covered it without you just reading the script to me. I I could have. I I really could have. I remember most of it. Sure. Yeah, anybody that hasn't seen it yet, 
you need to go see it. It's it's worth the time. Take your girlfriend, take your wife, take your kids. Obviously not the little guys, you know, like the, the three- and four-year-olds, unless you know that they can sit through a whole movie. Yeah, that was part of why I didn't get to see it today, because we have a nephew. And I was like, ah, I don't think you can do a two-and-a-half-hour movie. Not today. <laughs> three, not four. Today. Three, four. Up in my house. Yeah, okay. I don't think you can do this. Like, not today. But, all right, guys, don't forget to hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash stash my comics. Coolness comes out of there. We update every day with the new stuff that's on the website. Also, don't forget to hit us up on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash stash my comics. Coolness also comes out of there in the form of 140 character tweets. Can't go wrong with that. The new stuff that's up is a free Secret Adventures of Houdini 2 preview for Free Comic Book Day. Did you get to do that, by the way? I did not. I had to work retail for uh, half hour. I was seeing Spider-Man 2, so yeah, oh, there you go. Working all day. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Geek Cinema, Killing Mara Jade, uh, stuff you guys need to check out. Also, there's a review for Southern Bastards number one. Which I love. <laughs> is it worth the read? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> Don't forget to uh, check out SMC's podcast from last week. Lots of cool stuff in there. Uh, the much-loved uh, Spider-Man versus Superman, which you liked a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was my favorite thing I've ever read. There you go. Spoilers abound. Also, the interview with Rob Gilroy talking about the Chew animated adaption. Lots of coolness in there. The review for Sparks. And I think there's still time to hit up the crowdfunding flash for Just Another Sheep. Yeah, I think it'll have one day left on this post, so yeah. There you go. So time is of the essence. Hit up those independent projects. We love to support those. We love to give the helping hand of giving those guys some much-needed advertisement. And you guys need to take the time and take a look at it and support the ones you love. Enjoy the ones that you support. Uh, Leo, is there anything else? That's it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we will see you next week. <laughs>